If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. All right, you guys ready to jump into Romans? Yeah. We're in chapter 4 tonight. Uh, this is part 7 of our um, teaching on this. And uh, I, don't, I don't think we'll get through the entire chapter here tonight. Thanks for joining us tonight, sweetie. Welcome to One Cause Church. And I'm just asking for it. I hadn't seen her in a week, so I've been missing her. Um, where was I? See, you just completely distracted me. Yeah, anyway, I don't think we're going to finish all of this chapter tonight. Uh, because this is, this is one of those chapters, kind of like one, where we have to slow down a little and walk through it because there's so many wonderful truths here. And um, I'm very excited. This I can't say it for sure, but I'm 90% sure I'll say that this is my favorite chapter in the book of Romans. I do have to consider 5 and 8, 10, 12, (laughs) 7, but 4 is is where we really find ourselves. And uh, so let's go ahead and start in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? What did Abraham find according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, remember, I want to remind us all here tonight that this is not talking about the works of the law, being that the law had not been written for 430 plus years, right? So this is way before. And um, so... This is talking about really any kind of works and that Abraham was not justified by any kind of works. Abraham was a great man. Abraham was uh, the father of our faith. Uh, He was not the father, however, of how we behave. We want to make sure we keep those things clear. Abraham was not the father of how we should act. He was the father of how we should believe. Um, Because if, if Abraham was the father of how we should act, I just want to say he's not really the greatest example for how we should behave, all right? And and I'll show you a couple of different places. Over in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham, God tells Abraham, his story starts in Genesis 12, tells him uh, to get out of his father's house and go to a land that that he would show him, right? Abraham's 75 years old at this time. Usually about that age, you're moving down to Florida and you're going to play golf until you breathe your last, or you're, you're done, you know, you're, you're there to enjoy the rest of your life, whatever that might be. But now God is telling him, I want you to get up out of your father's house, out of the, off the golf course, and go to this place. You have no idea what it is, but I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to you and your descendants following you. So Abraham does that. He goes, and then somewhere along the way, he gets to where God told him to go and found out there was a famine there. So then he and Sarah go to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, Abraham's looking at his wife, and Sarah was just beautiful, is what the scripture says. And Abraham, seeing her, realized that probably Pharaoh would want to take her. So for fear of his own life, he says, you're my sister. All right? So whenever uh, we get into town, they're going to take you. But I need you to go along with me so they don't kill me so they can have you. And so he hands over his wife to Pharaoh, right? How many of you know that's not really all that proper behavior? I mean, I got feelings about guys who would just lay their wives out there for somebody else, you know, and they're not good feelings, all right? So he, he does this, he does this, and then God 
then God speaks to Pharaoh, and, and actually he was plagued, and then, uh, and then finds out that she was actually his wife. And so uh, it was interesting that Pharaoh is the one who got in trouble when he didn't even know. And we're going to learn why here in just a moment. And then over in chapter, now this is before Abraham is made righteous. We know that in Genesis 15, 6, that the scripture says, and he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And upon that truth hangs basically all of New Testament doctrine. Paul refers to it several times. But, and then in chapter 16, after Abraham was made righteous by faith, remember when uh, he uh, took on a, an extra marital, not extra marital, yeah, I guess it would have been an extra marital situation. Um, his wife had given her handmaid Hagar to him, seeing that she wasn't able to bear children. So then Abraham and, and uh, Hagar made Ishmael, all right? Not a good move, not, not all that great of a move. As a matter of fact, it was such a bad move that we're still seeing Isaac and Ishmael fighting even to this day. It wasn't great behavior. And then chapter 20, Abraham does this to Sarah again. They end up, uh, with where King Abimelech is, and it, it's the same scenario. For fear of his own life, he gives his wife over to King Abimelech, and Abimelech takes her into his harem, and then Abimelech has a dream, and the Lord tells him in the dream, the first words out of the Lord's mouth are, you're a dead man. And he said, why? And he said, because you have another man's wife. And he said, Lord, you know the integrity of my heart. I did not know that. And the Lord said, I know you didn't know it. So when, whenever you go see Abraham, you need to, he's a prophet. So you need to go to him and he'll pray for you and then you'll be healed. Well, what this guy didn't do anything wrong. And God knew that he didn't do anything wrong. But compared to Abraham, ladies and gentlemen, he was wrong. And I'm going to explain this to you in just a moment. You know why? Because Abraham was made righteous by faith. And it seems a bit biased of God. And it was. Okay. So just, I just want to make sure that we all understand that it's not the father of how we're supposed to behave. He's the father of how we are to believe. You got that? Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So I want to give you the Greek word for the word accounted here, all right? I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. And it's logizomai, logizomai, L-O-G-I-Z-A-M-A-I, logizomai. Come on, make a friend of the word. That's ah, oh, all right. <laughs> this, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saying it right. So this word deals with reality. So if I logizomai uh, or reckon that my bank book has $25 in it, that'd be a good day, wouldn't it, honey? Um, <laughs> has $25 in it, it has $25 in it. Otherwise, I'm deceiving myself. This word refers to facts and not suppositions, all right? So check this out, that God, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, in God's mind, in God's eyes, faith is the same thing as righteousness. You catching that? God was reckoning Abraham's faith as right standing and right living. If you ever read the Amplified Version of the Bible, when it talks about righteousness, it always defines it those two ways, right standing and right living. Not only did God account right standing to Abraham, ladies and gentlemen, he also accounted right living to him, with him having done no works but simply believing God. 
Okay. Um, somebody say this with me. Faith is righteousness. See, that's why we preach faith here. That's why we're going to continue to preach faith because faith preaching is righteousness preaching. All right, go to Luke chapter 5 for just a moment. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. Luke 5 verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, talking about Jesus, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 18, then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he, Jesus, saw there the friend's faith, he said to him, the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. Wow, what an amazing statement Jesus made there. Before he told the man, arise and be healed or take up your bed and walk, the first thing Jesus says to this man are, man, your sins are forgiven you. It wasn't even the paralyzed man's faith at work. Now this says something to us about faith, how God sees it. So when faith is on the scene, he makes people righteous. He saw their faith and turns to that man and says, your sins are forgiven you. So because that's true, because faith is so powerful that way, because it is the revelation of the righteousness of God, and I'm grateful that I don't have to, as your pastor, continue to tell you, you need to be living right. You need to be doing the right thing. Now, should you be doing the right thing, ladies and gentlemen? Come on. Okay. Okay, I thought I was going to the right church. You, I, you absolutely do, but I, all I have to do is get you in faith. That's all I have to do is teach you faith and continue to teach you faith that righteousness comes by faith. Continue to talk about faith in God. And when it gets in your heart, you'll have a righteousness awakening. Hallelujah. That's what the scripture says. Awaken to righteousness and sin not. And all that stuff take, takes care of itself. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We had a young guy in our church a couple of years ago that... Um, told me, I went, and, I went and had coffee with him some time ago, and he was telling me his story about his encounter with our church. And he said, I, was, I, was, uh, I started coming here, and he said, I hadn't, be, I hadn't ever been churched. And uh, I started coming here, and he said, and he'd been here about a year at that time, and he was living with his girlfriend. And he said, I just started thinking, you know, I need to make this right. I need to do this right. I need to marry this girl. His heart just started talking to him. The Lord started talking. Righteousness started talking to him. Huh? Who he is. So I, just need to, I need to make this right. I need to get my life, my foundation right. I didn't tell him any of that. He just sat under, our, under this teaching. He sat in this atmosphere all the time of grace and faith. And all of a sudden, righteousness started awakening in this young man. I didn't have to come up here and tell him he's in fornication and blah, 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 blah. No, just taught him faith. And he himself had a righteous revelation. Are you hearing me? This is why we teach this. This is why we teach the faith. Because this is how you live a victorious life, by faith. It is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen. Amen. Uh, verse 4, Romans 4, 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. We've talked about this before. Talked about this before. If, my, if your boss came up to you after you work a two-week period, handed you your paycheck and said, hey, I want to give you a gift, 
you're going to go, that's not a gift. I earned that. I worked two solid weeks for that. But if he said, here's your paycheck and here's 500 extra dollars just because, well, now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? That's a gift because it's not earned. Grace cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for. Otherwise, it's not grace. But to him who does not work, verse 5, I love this verse. But to him who does not work, everybody say, does not work. Now, this is not telling you not to have a job, all right? This is talking about getting your righteousness. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Let's see how good a student you are here today. Faith, I want you to finish this sentence. Faith without works is? Let me try it again. Faith without works is? Let's look at this again. We're not in the book of James. We're in the book of Romans. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, he makes a separation from works and faith. His faith is accounted for righteousness. So then faith here without works is righteousness. Only, only thing people know about faith most of the time is faith without works is dead. And that's true if you're a Jew. But this is your message about faith without works. Faith without works is righteousness. Wow. Oh, my. Only God can justify the ungodly. Therefore, Faith without works is righteousness. Hmm. Just as David, look at verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man or the happiness of a man to whom the Lord, to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Are you catching this? Works has nothing to do with being made righteous. It's only by faith. Works is not in the equation. Are you catching that? All right. Well, look at verse 7. Blessed are those. This is what David said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. So their lawless deeds are forgiven and their sins are covered. Now, I want you to notice something about what David says. David has, he's getting a kind of a, a New Testament understanding here. He's actually looking more to our day. We're better than our sins covered. Our sins have been taken away. But both are who has forgiven and who has covered, both of those things are past tense. Meaning, he forgave us our sins before we ever produced works. Okay. Uh, uh, Tawana, could you read a scripture for me? Let's grab a microphone. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And then I might have... Somebody else, Jonna. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So if you would, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Tawana, would you read that? Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Oh, that's good. So, so here's what he says. And, and, I'm, and we're talking about this happening before we were able to produce works. Before we ever produced works, God forgave us. God, wow. 
Look at this. He indeed, this is what it says in Peter, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last days to you, or last times for you, who through him believe in God. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Wow. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. All right, now watch this. Thank you. Uh, watch this. So just as he chose us in him, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we be holy without blame before him in love. So in other words, God chose you holy without blame in love before the foundation of the world. Before you could ever do any good deed in your life, God already chose you in him, wow, holy without blame in love. All right, this is an amazing love story, isn't it? Having predestined us to adoption. Well, well, you're not predestined, though. You don't, you don't enjoy the benefits of that predestination, I should say, until you believe. The moment you believe on Jesus, you're predestined in him. You're predestined to adoption. There's, there's a popular belief out there that some are predestined for, for heaven and some are predestined for eternal destruction. Nothing could be further from the truth. God chose all of us. It's his wish, the scripture says, that none would perish, but all would come to salvation. All right? We know what God's will is. So we're not predestined. We can't really know that kind of reality until we believe it. Once you're in faith, you're retroactive, foreordained before the foundation of the world. So watch. So Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world, and we were chosen before him, before the, chosen in him, I should say, before the foundation of the world, proving that we could never be saved by works, but by faith in Jesus alone. Wow. Now watch verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Oh, man, this is so good. So good, i got to take my jacket off. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. What does that mean? Well, the word impute there is also... What did I say that word was? Logizomai? Was also, is also logizomai, all right? So, to account or to credit or to reckon. So is God, let me ask you this, is God the kind of God that would credit you with a sin that you did not commit? Is he that kind of God? That he would impute sin to you that you did not commit? No, he's not that kind of God. Obviously not then this has to be saying, blessed is the one to whom he shall not impute sins that they have committed. That's, that's the only thing it can say. He's saying, now there, there might be an account of you having a sinful life. Yeah, yeah. Are you human? But yet God doesn't account your sin to you. He doesn't impute your sins to you that you have committed. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like grace. That sounds like his, he refuses to take it into account that you sinned. Okay. 
And this is what I'm talking about. Now you understand why he dealt with Abraham the way he did. Why he dealt with King Abimelech the way he did. Because Abraham was made righteous by faith. Therefore God saw no transgression. God saw no sin on Abraham's part. See, you're awfully quiet. And, I'm, and I, I know what you're thinking. That sounds like, Pastor Eric, that you can just go do whatever you want. And God's not seeing it. God's not accounting it. Well, I'm not saying that, but I'm kind of saying that. Y'all just got quieter. I said, I'm not saying that, but I'm kind of saying that. I mean, you're so free. You're so saved. His grace is so abundant that He cannot see. He will not account you with your sins. I, don't, I didn't write this book. Thank God I didn't. But here's the thing. Now, if I have to, I mean, if you'll just believe what the Bible says, then you'll get free in this. But if you have to defend your doctrine or your denomination, you're going to have trouble with this. Thank God I don't have a denomination or a doctrine to defend. I just try to see what the Scripture says and then bring that to you. All right? Because this messes with a lot of people. I have good friends who are in denominations who have a lot of trouble with this kind of stuff. And so instead of wanting to understand it, they only want to defend their set of creeds, their doctrine, their stance, rather than what does the Scripture say? All right? This is, you're so free that sin shall not actually have dominion over you. This is not about you going and living how you want to. As a matter of fact, well, let me say it kind of is. You're free to live. Oh, thank you, Stephen. You actually are free to live how you want to. Because you're born again. And your want to is now his want to. Your desire is a righteous desire. So yeah, in that way, you are free to do what you want to if you're, if you're talking about the inner man. Now, if, we're, if you're identifying with the flesh, ladies and gentlemen, come on, we all know this doesn't want to please God. This doesn't want to share with others. It doesn't want to be kind. It doesn't want to say nice things. It doesn't want to get up out of bed. It doesn't want to work. The flesh just doesn't want to do that. It only wants to please itself. Hmm? Have you lived long enough to figure that out? All right, so if, you, if you're setting your desire according to the desire of the flesh, then, then you are selling yourself short. But if you're going to live for God, live who you are, then you can live how you want to. That's how free you are, because your want-tos are his want-tos. Did you catch that? All right. He just refuses to account your sins. He just refuses to impute you with sin. Ah, that's amazing to me. Blessed is the one who does have an account of sin, and yet God doesn't account it to him. Wow. Okay, let's go to verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised, I just got to tell you a story. I might have, you might have heard me tell this story before, but I was reminded of it when I was out there at the ranch in, in New Mexico. When Dylan was in the second grade, is that right, son? Second grade? He loves when I tell this story. He came home with a note from the teacher that he had vandalized the school. He had written on the building on one of the portable buildings 
So I said, okay. So I brought him into the bedroom and sat down on the bed. And I, I sat down, and I'm waiting to hear, you know, what he wrote. And I'm, I'm expecting the absolute worst word possible. You know, I'm just bracing myself for it. My second grade son, pastor's son in the community. So I said, okay, son, what did you write? He's looking down. He looks up at me with this shameful look on his face. It says, bugger and chicken. <laughs> well, I have to admit, I couldn't help but laugh, and there was no whipping going to happen at that point because it was just, there was, it was a laugh that was funny, but it was also a great laugh of relief that that's as, that's as naughty as it was. Hallelujah. So I just told him, don't do that again and go erase it from the school because he wrote it in pencil. So, I mean, he was a, he was a very caring uh, vandal. Um, <laughs> But this is, I kind of see that this is a little bit how God sees. He doesn't account your sin <laughs> to you. You, sometimes we expect that we are the worst kind of person in God's eyes because of what we've done and, we, and we've slipped down the ladder of approval in God's eyes. And he's having to look way down at us. Come on. Like we can work our way back up. But ladies and gentlemen, righteousness doesn't work like that. Righteousness only works by faith. Does this blessedness come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? Now who is he talking about? You. Say me. Come on, help me out here. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or while uncircumcised? Which is it? Uncircumcised. It was while he was uncircumcised. He was as uncircumcised as Goliath was at this point. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Why? And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith. It's not what made him righteous. It was the seal that he was righteous. It was the sign. All right? And I've said to you before, God had to make that up. No man in his right mind is going to think, how can I show that I'm righteous? Hmm, I've got an idea. Circumcision. Right? No man's going to make that up. So we know that that came from God. Possibly Sarah, but more than likely it was God. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised that he, why? Be, that he will not be the father of all those who believe. And we are forever grateful, aren't we? That it was only about faith. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Wow. And the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised for the promise that he would be heir of the world. I have to stop right there for just a moment. Did you hear that? The promise that he would be heir of the world. You know, I looked that up in the scripture. I looked that up in Genesis. 
It is nowhere in the book of Genesis where it says that he would be the heir of the world. The only thing that we know about Abraham in Genesis is that he would be a father of nations or a father of many nations. But you don't necessarily conclude that that means all nations and every nation. It just says he's a father of a multitude of nations. This is why we need to study the letters of Paul, ladies and gentlemen, so that we can have real understanding. The first place it says that he was the heir of the world is right here. We don't know that reality. Reading prior to it, this is amazing. That Abraham would be the heir of the world. That not to Abraham, no, uh, the next part of that verse. Not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham became the heir of the world through the righteousness of faith, not by works that he did. Are you catching that? So you, what that tells us today is that you and I are entitled Catch this. We're entitled to the promises based on the righteousness we received when we believed. That's really good news. We're entitled to the promises of God based on the righteousness we received when we believed. You're not entitled to the promises because you live right. All right? I'll prove it to you. Go to Galatians. I'm almost through. I'm just assuming you're completely enamored and listening here tonight and taking all this deep in, or you're bored to death. So I'm going to assume first. A. All right, Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 2 for a moment. Paul says this. He's talking to Galatians, and, and, he's, and he's, this is really tough. This is his defense of the gospel, the book of Galatians is. These Judaizers had come in after Paul had preached the gospel to this church, and taught to them that Christ died for their sins, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day. These guys came in, these Judaizers came in, and tried to tell these these Galatians that they needed to be circumcised, that they needed to keep the law of Moses in order to maintain their righteousness. So they were beginning to fall for it. So then Paul, I mean, he, in verse, chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. Look how he starts off chapter chapter, uh, 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? All right? This is the only thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Well, which is it, ladies and gentlemen? How do you receive the Spirit? The hearing of faith. All right? Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You mean you began in the Spirit... You believe God simply by faith. You put faith in Jesus for salvation. But now, now you're being perfected because you don't do this and you don't do that and you do do this and you do do that. What does he call them? Foolish for that. For have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Five. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He supplies the Spirit and he works miracles among people who believe. Hey, remember this. If it was about the works of the law, then all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have been healed under Jesus' ministry. But none of them received from him. Except a guy named Nicodemus and another guy named... uh, what was his name? Uh, he was a temple ruler. You're right. 
I'm talking about, about um, I don't know. What was that guy's name? All right, I'll think about it. Therefore, he supplies the Spirit to you and works. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And remember when we were talking about earlier when the paralytic, they let down the, their friend through the roof? Well, right before that, it says all these Pharisees and Sadducees were there and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. But none of them received. Why? I mean, you'd think if anybody was qualified to do it, the guys who crossed the T's and dotted the I's to the law would be able, no, 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 no. It's not about works. It's about faith. All right, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Oh, this is good. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Nine. So then those who are of faith are blessed. Wow. With believing Abraham. Oh, that's such good news. That your blessing comes through your righteousness by faith. Period. 14 of Romans uh, 4. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. In other words, if it's, it's about works, then our believing does do, doesn't do anything for us. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Did you see that? See, a lot of times we can just read right over that. Where the law, there is wrath. In other words, the law, there is transgression. Right? With the law, there is transgression. It shows you don't do that, and then you go do it. Well, guess what? There's wrath to come. But when there is no law, there's no transgression. It's kind of like when my kids go to my parents' house. At my house, there are laws, there are rules. And so when they break that rule, then they face the consequence. But at my parents' house, apparently, there are no rules. So there is no transgression there. You understand how your Father in Heaven sees you, ladies and gentlemen? He doesn't have sin on His mind. He only has righteousness on His mind. We're the ones with the problem, not Him. We're the ones that can't get it through our heads that we're made righteous by faith and faith alone, right? That's why we have to keep hammering this and hammering this and hammering this. I mean, I mean, continue to hear the message of faith. It's kind of like nailing jello to a tree. You know, you just, we got to stay with it. You got to stay with it because you just slip right off of it and forget who you are. And before long, you're over there into doubt and unbelief. And, and, and when you get into that kind of mindset, then you go into a performance mindset thinking, I got to do something to please God rather than know who you are already pleases him because Jesus pleased him. Amen. Therefore, it is of faith, 16, that it might be according to grace. The only way that we can get grace is by faith then. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Did you see that? It says that, <clears throat> that the promise might be sure. That the promise might... Now, this is an axiomatic state, statement. Watch this. When you believe on Jesus... You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's how salvation, that's how that promise of salvation becomes sure to you and me. Because you believe, and grace comes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's how every promise of God works. It's how every promise of God. 
You have to do it by faith so it can be according to grace. And then the promises of God become sure in your life. Whatever they may be, that the promise might be sure to you. Okay, verse 17. I'm almost through. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Faith does not call things as they are as though they are not. Don't mistake that. It calls those things that be not as though they are. Scientology says we call those things that be as though they are not. Faith says we call those things that be not as though they are. You see the difference? Huh? That kind of cult would say if they're sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm in denial. Right? Well, faith doesn't talk like that. Faith just said, I'm healed. I'm healed by his stripes. Okay. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. I love that. I love that statement. Because that encouraging me, encourages me, no matter what kind of thing people are facing in life, always bring hope. It doesn't matter how contrary to the situation to hope is. I'm here to bring hope. How many times have you ever heard, ever heard anybody say that to you? About somebody, maybe they have a terminal disease or, you know, maybe a relationship has gone too far and, 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 and so you want to be there to encourage them and then you hear somebody tell you, don't get their hopes up. Don't get their, what am I, what am I here for? Somebody's got to give them hope. Abraham didn't have any reason to believe. He's 100 years old. He still believes he's going to have a baby. Everything is working against this man. Watch. In hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was written, spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Well, how, what does that look like? How are you strengthened in faith, giving glory to God? He simply said what God said about him. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, and he said, all right, I'm Abraham. God said, I want you to be circumcised. He said, all right, I'll do it. He just did whatever God told him to do, and he said whatever God told him to say. And this is how he gave glory to God. And he did not even consider the natural circumstances. Didn't even consider his body just about dead. Neither the deadness of service. Didn't even put him in the equation of faith in God because you cannot put those things in the equation of faith in God. He was not weak in faith. Weak faith is that which considers the circumstances. No, but strengthened in faith is that which glorifies God. All right. And being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform. Do you believe that tonight? That whatever God has promised you, he is also able to perform that? That God's just not out there just throwing these outlandish, boy, I, big wishes on his part. It'd be nice if I, I'd really like to get you uh, a heal. I'd really like to heal you. I'd really like to, uh, to bless you. I'd really like to do those things. But, you know, we'll see if I'm able to do that. No, when he says it, it's done. If God said it, his ability is in it. Because his ability is in his word. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Also for us. This is not just Abraham's story. This is all of our story. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I want one last thought on that verse right there. Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses, right? He went to the cross because we sinned. That's why. 
But it says he was raised because of our justification. Well, let me ask you something. When are you justified? When are you justified? Hmm? It's not a trick question. Anybody can answer it. When, Richard, when are you justified? Huh? At salvation, when you believe, right? Because the very next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But this says he was raised because of our justification. Well, we didn't have the opportunity to believe yet that he was raised from the dead. Somebody else's faith is in action here. Somebody else's faith is in action. No man has believed yet because Jesus wasn't raised yet. The mo- and so he was raised because we were justified, but we weren't justified until we believed. How is that going to work, God? Because God has to believe it. God raised him, his son from the dead with this assurance. Somebody will believe this. Somebody will put their faith. So I'm going to raise him from the dead by faith that they will have faith. Hallelujah. Because he's not forcing us to believe. Our believing is a choice. Amen. I hope this has blessed you tonight. I actually wasn't planning on getting all the way through this, but we did. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time tonight with my family. Thank you, Lord, for this great church. Thank you that we are saved by grace through faith, that you call righteousness and faith the same thing. And that when you see us, you see no transgression, you see no sin. You don't impute our sins to us, God. No, you impute righteousness to us by faith in Jesus. This is the difference that Jesus made for us. What a glorious, glorious Savior we have. Hallelujah. It's not by our works that we've done that we are saved, but by your mercy you saved us. By your grace, God. And we thank you for that tonight. Father, you are so good to us. And you have so set us up for life and that more abundantly. Lord, for those who will simply believe, that's all you're looking for is people who will believe in you, who will live like Abraham in that way. Teach us, God. Help us with our faith. Help us, Lord, to grow in faith. Help us to stand strong in faith and to not not be like this world and not try to reason things out in our own human strength and way, God, but understand that there is a way that is higher than our way. There are thoughts that are higher than our our thoughts. They are yours, and you are showing us what those are through your word and by your spirit who lives in us. Lord, I thank you that you don't keep any secrets from us because you gave us your spirit. You showed us how you feel about us. He's there to reveal all those things that are freely given to us by God. He's there to reveal the secrets of God to us. We thank you for that advantage that we have in this world. Lord, may we tap into it more and more. May we be more aware every day that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the difference that we are in this world. Hallelujah. We're the, only, the thing that separates us from all other religions of the world that makes Christianity unique is that our God came and lived on the inside of us. Wow. Hallelujah.
Father, I thank you that your blessing is upon all those that are here tonight under the sound of my voice. And now you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways as we go from here tonight. They are blessed with believing Abraham. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11 and Wednesday evenings at 7 and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.